LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. My name is Daniel Lim, and I'm here with Todd Atkins. What? And a, it's been a long time and, since I've gotten to do that because uh, <laughs> when we when we switch people out. When you started to come on, I started to do the intro, yeah. and then and then I do hello, hello, and you, you do hello, hello. and so As it's not it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, and we have a special guest, a an old friend for you, a new friend for me. It's 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 my old old <laughs> old boss daddy. Oh really? Like old two boss, boss daddy. daddy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> we were a dynamic duo for sure. Like we dovetailed well with each other. I would say probably as good or better than anybody I've ever, ever worked with. This was and his name yeah. is also Todd, yes. So this... Uh, oh, this is the Todd. This is the Todd. This is the other Todd. This is the other Todd. Oh, <laughs> so I've heard of you, Todd. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Yeah, the See? legendary other Todd. Yes. Yes. This okay. is him. Oh, okay. My, yes, I'm now so much more excited for this podcast interview. <laughs> you should that. see his face now, man. Hey, Jay Atkins, Daniel was just, just ridiculously bored up to this moment. He was. And now he's like super excited. This is awesome. Yeah, okay. Yes, you are in for a treat. This is the other talk. No, I didn't. I just didn't connect. I mean, you said that he, that you worked together at McLean and you, you spoke him up completely. Right, I mean, because he's doing amazing work. But I spoke I, about last well because I'm yeah, also yeah. slightly passionate about last well. But I yeah. didn't realize he was the other Todd. So help our other help our listeners understand who the other Todd is. There are so many. <laughs> Which so angle, right? <laughs> uh, no. So um, okay. So where Todd and I connect, similar to where you know uh, Eric and I connected, because people know that uh, Eric Geiger was the other co-host before mm. that was Barnes. But um, Eric and I got to do ministry together, and we had, you know, this this ministry, like, massively blow up. Well, Todd and I came together uh, to McLean within months of each other. Okay. And we both—it was like we just got this ministry dropped into our laps. Uh, and so he, he, you know, was the, the big kahuna, took over Frontline, which is the church-within-a-church model— uh, that was, you know, big in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, but it was the, like, it actually worked and was super healthy, and it had a massive amount of growth. And this, so this Todd is the truly, one, he's the one who preached. Yes. Right? Okay, okay. Um, and, and it was the best time of my life. Of my ever, ever, life. ever. It was even Best more than ever. his marriage. And we the had an incredible I'm team. I'm telling you, second to salvation, buddy. It, this <laughs> no, was it. it was an incredible team. And you asked my wife when she has been happiest and most connected to community. When you hear me talk about mm. the people I still go on vacation with to the Outer Banks, they're all from this time. And most of them were on staff with me there. And, you know, we, we did all this. Uh, together and then we did campuses together and we did it was it was so much fun, but we are not talking about to that today. <laughs> Even though most of the leadership pipeline people stuff know and love came out of this relationship and this ministry and the the rapid expansion growth and you know how we faltered and fumbled through that, but then had these amazing things that happened. But what we are here to talk about today is the last well. Now, 
Thank you, Todd, for being silent for so long. I'm going to ask you to be silent for just a little bit longer. The <laughs> last, the last well is a result in part of a random leader in our church who was so bold as to put a fireman's hat with a uh, a strobing emergency light <laughs> on Todd's doorstep. Wait, where do you buy these? My son I don't know. loves I don't know, but that. it was amazing. Okay. So in part, this is this guy is is you know helping, you know, be a catalyst. And it was about extreme stupid poverty. And it was also about an extreme stupid water problem mm. that we heard the world over again and again and again and again. And as a result, we've seen a bajillion, you know, water projects. But I'm gonna tell you how this one is truly unique and truly special. Mm. Because out of that, we said, hey. There's got to be a way that we can make this manageable and completable and help people celebrate, you know, the actual completion uh, to which Todd is, is you know, he, he started this movement, really, uh, in Liberia. We chose Liberia because we looked at that in another country in South America, which I'm not going to name because we didn't end up going there, but focused on Liberia and border-to-border Every place that needs clean water, every village, every man and child that needs to he- clean water is going to get it, number number two. Because mm-hmm. number one, every person, every man, child, woman is going to hear the gospel because we are going to work with local churches and it is going to be that connection. So you've heard mm-hmm. me talk about compassion before and why yeah. I'm so— passionate about compassion because they work with local churches. Well, part of that is born out of being boots on the ground in Liberia with Todd, uh, but all but, but the teams and crews there that have almost completed border to border the last well in Liberia. That is crazy. Now I'm going to let Todd talk because I've run out of stuff that I actually <laughs> know to date. And you Todd, did well. Listen, man, yeah. you did fantastic. We can just close in prayer like we're done. You said everything. <laughs> and and Todd, no one has ever gotten this long of an intro. Well, it's, so, it's, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. listen, I feel very special though. I didn't know. <laughs> I thought maybe did, Todd did that for everybody. <laughs> <No? I'm> <laughs> and I I haven't had lunch. I haven't you didn't drank any Red Bull. Either. Oh, come on. Nothing. So Todd, I'd love to, before we get into our questions, <laughs> please, please, please. Correct anything Todd, I said. Yeah, and uh, give us, us a really funny well. story about Todd Adkins. Oh. Please, please embarrass He has one so, from Liberia. Just so rich. <laughs> which, one are you, which one are you thinking about in Liberia? Tell me, tell me, uh, start me off. Uh, Liberia, third day, I, so I had a back surgery before I went to Liberia, and the roads are a joke in Liberia. And even though I was sitting up front trying to adjust to all the bumps in the road, I compacted, um, I, I got a really compacted back, Yikes. very bad, oh. went into spasms for days, screaming oh like I was an insane person. It was the worst experience of my life. But yeah, I forgot about that. So not so funny, right, when you're Todd, but it was it was kind of funny watching it from a distance. <laughs> and so, and, and the other thing about that is that um, just to give you an idea of how bad the, the roads were in Liberia, they're much better now. We've been there for 10 years. But uh, when Todd was there uh, dealing with those roads, there was a 120-mile a uh, 
what, what they call a road from Monrovia, the main city, up to this area called Banga. And uh, that 120 miles took nine hours, just to give you an idea. 120 uh, miles brutal. took nine hours. Nine hours, brutal. yeah. And and potholes the size of big trucks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you just, you can't, I've been to 38, 39 countries, uh, a lot of really challenging areas around the world. I've never seen roads. Uh, when Todd talks about them just destroying his back, there's a reason <laughs> that happened. It's just, they're just that horrible. There's wow. nothing... You just, you got to experience it. You've got to get in there and just get this 3D experience before you can even try to describe it. But yeah, so, so Laswell is again, born out of uh, the passions of young adults that, that attended Frontline, that were members at Frontline Church up in Washington, DC that Todd mentioned before that he and I basically co-led. I was the lead pastor, teaching pastor. Uh, Todd kind of played the executive pastor role among about 12 other hats that he wore. And uh, together, um, we went from uh, this one campus, uh, the main campus that we had, to ultimately we had 10 campuses, including an internet campus, four college campuses, six regular adult ca- campuses uh, for post-college. And uh, it's just quite other, a remarkable ride. Yeah, and, and uh, four other campuses at McLean that were based on those as well. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, they went from a single to a multi-campus strategy at McLean Bible Church, which is kind of the mothership where we had our, we we used their facilities and were part of them as well. And uh, anyway, so so the last well came out of the young adults in Frontline, and this was back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. There were a lot of factors. Todd mentions the the. Were you talking about Drew? I was talking from, about. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Drew was a huge piece of this. The gentleman he talked about before. <laughs> coming into my door and, and talking about extreme poverty and, and the water crisis around the world and the way that we could use that to spread the gospel. Uh, uh, the William Wilberforce movie came out, Amazing Grace, oh, at the yeah. same time, just during that same six-month time frame. And I had people, uh, we had about, I don't know, what do we have, three, 4,000 yes. regular attenders at Frontline. And I, I had hundreds of them over about a two or three-week time frame catch me at Starbucks after the services, up at the offices at the church, and just say, hey, Todd, have you seen the Amazing Grace movie, Wilberforce Ended Slavery. He was a passionate man of God who thought he was going to go into the priesthood. God took him into parliament. He spent 40 years of his life fighting the slave trade. And then the gavel goes down. He, he wins the fight that God gave him after 40 years. And 72 hours later, he dies. Hmm. And so this movie really had an effect on these young adults. They, they said, you know, why can't we have our own Wilberforce moment in our generation where something ends in our generation and God gets the glory? And, and really, that those couple of things, Drew talking about extreme poverty and the water crisis and the gospel, the Amazing Grace um, movie coming out at the time. We also had uh, one other thing, Todd. Do you remember, uh, we, we raised like, I can't remember how much money one night because of the uh, tsunami. Um, oh, I you, you don't talk, I can't remember how much money it was, but I remember talking to my wife before the event that night, uh, Todd. And we asked the we asked the frontliners to step up and help move a village that was basically flooded out up the hill and actually just recreate the entire town, wow. you know, for them. And the frontliners stepped up in such a radical and massive and overwhelming way, uh, you know, because they're just they're such a socially active um, generation that group that we were working with. And so all these things culminated in this whole thing of having a Wilberforce moment, ending something in our generation. And so we started asking the question as a church, two questions, really. What's the worst place in the world no one wants to go? Mm. And what's the greatest physical need in that area that we can use to share the gospel? 
And that's really how the mission of the last well came up. We found Liberia at the time, the worst place that we could find. Uh, and, uh, and the greatest need there was water. A hundred people a day were dying inside the borders of Liberia just from a preventable issue of waterborne disease. And, uh, we were going to use that to share the gospel. So the mission became bring the gospel and clean water to the entire nation of Liberia, border to border, every man, woman, and child by 2020. Hmm. And that's really how this ministry started. And that was 10 years ago. Wow. And so a hundred people there. a day, a hundred people yeah. a day were dying. Do yep. you know what it is now? Yeah, it's down. We're down to about 42 a day. Wow. Yeah. So, well, and you know, talk about, okay. I mean, first of all, just in case you're wondering, you're like, how do I know Liberia? Ebola. And Todd yeah. was there during that too, which is a whole other story for a whole other day. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Talk, talk about, um, talk about what has, what has seen a rapid uh, increase, expansion. You know, it, it's the whole idea of if you had a pond and, you know, the lily pads doubled every day, how how long would it take to cover the pond? Well, it's really the last, you know, four or five days where you see it just look like a hockey stick. Mm. But yeah. it was just simple math. You didn't you didn't see it happening. It just all of a sudden just really started to happen. Talk about um, the the counties in Liberia and what you've you've seen, like how close are we to getting this done? Yeah. So, and before I jump into that, because I think this is real important, what I'd love for your listeners to be thinking of this whole time, because I understand you have a lot of, you know, Christian people in Christian leadership, pastors, ministers, other, other types of leaders, missionaries around the world, et cetera, and just people that have grabbed a hold of your podcast and want to know more about leadership. But I'd love for the listeners as we're talking through this to think, you know, what, what is my will before smoke? You know, maybe you're, maybe you're listening to this, you know, you're a pastor of a church of 50 people or 5,000, doesn't really matter. You know, um, you've got this leadership role. You have an opportunity to go out there and spread the gospel, expand the kingdom, give God the glory for those activities and engage your people in something bigger than themselves. And uh, just as you're listening to this, just understand this started, everything you're hearing about is not because of me or Todd Atkins on the other side of this, on the other microphone. It, it was because God chose to, chose to sovereignly move in the hearts and minds of young adults who still believe God could do great things. Mm. You know, And I just, I want to say that before we get any further, it's, it's, it was an unlikely generation of people that, that God put together and allowed Todd and I to be involved in, in leading and serving that group. And ultimately, I'm now full-time in this role, and, and it's one of the greatest, other than Frontline, honestly, the, 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 one of the greatest experiences of my life. Um, so there's 15 political regions. They call them counties uh, in Liberia. Uh, we'd call them states if you want to look at a comparative thing. It's 15 states, basically. And each of these 15 political regions, um, so far since 2009, uh, we've now we've now completely reached border to border with the gospel and clean water. Ten of those fifteen regions, wow. and and out of those ten regions, uh, we're just about in about a month. We'll receive our sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth county completion document. the The president's office it's called the president's delivery unit, the president of Liberia, and also the National Ministry of Public Works, uh, and and the head minister of that uh, department for the national government. They actually write, they, they externally audit all the work that we do in the field and then validate that. And then we receive letters of completion from the national government. And those 10 letters are the first letters of their kind on the entire continent of Africa. There's never been another political region reached border to border with clean water, let alone the gospel. And so, you know, from young adults believe in God for great things, we're now uh, 10 counties of 15 counties 
completed border to border, every man, woman, and child, even if there's a farmer on a rice farm 40 miles uh, from the nearest village, we've actually physically walked to that individual on that rice farm, geolocated them on our software, our data software, and then provided them clean water. When we say we're reaching every human being with the gospel and clean water, we're reaching every human being. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just an incredible thing to watch and to be a part of. So we're 10 counties in, uh, we're working, we'll be completing four counties in 2019. And then the final county, the largest county will be completed in 2020. Uh, and uh, again, the mission is to reach the entire country by December 31st of 2020. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how far we've, we've gotten. We've reached 2.3 million people with the gospel and clean water in the last 10 years and have about 800,000 people left to reach in the next 23 months. That's incredible. That's incredible. So Todd, as you're leading at that level, and I've been doing this for the last 10 years um, for our podcast, our first question is, who are you learning from? But I'd, oh, yeah, but I'd love to ask some leadership questions, <laughs> but, yeah, I'd love cool. for, but I'd love for you to, to, to also think, okay, even in scaling such a big endeavor. I mean, when you, when, when Todd Adkins first said that you, you know, talked to me about last well and, and how you were actually bringing clean water to a country, right? Like there's yeah. like what, 6 million people. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> what's interesting about that. So it's, it's actually 5. 5.2, 5.3 million. Okay. Um, and, uh, and when we got there, the estimates were 3.6 to 4.5 million. And, and I, and I, and I think this is important for your listeners to hear. This is a developing country that had 900,000 people that may or may not be there. Are you with me? It's just the, wow. the census data, the population statistics in these developing countries are just, they're just wrong. They're off. Mm. And so we actually decided to go in and do a hut by hut, border to border assessment of the entire country. It's a five-year project. We'll be completing that in June of this year. And uh, it's not 4.5, which is the largest estimate. It's now 5.2 to 5.3 million. So um, you've, you've got a country there where it's actually, you know, nearly 40% larger than the UN estimates, the Liberian government estimates actually say there are. And what I would say is this, that, that is just a small example of the reality. If you scale that reality out, how many people are really out there? Hmm. You know, we have estimates of 7 billion on the, on the, on, you know, population on the earth. Now I'm telling you this, after this experience with Liberia, there are, there are millions of more people out there that don't exist on any map, on any census data that need to hear the gospel. And we don't even know they're there. Wow. So I know I went off tangent on there. No, 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 no. That's now let's close. Okay. No, but seriously, leading last well, the scale, the complexity, even the, the huge vision around that, even just doing what you just said about doing the going up by head. I mean, uh, what do you, what do you, what are you learning who are you learning from? Who did you learn from in order to undertake something like this? Here, here's what's crazy. I mean, and I, I don't, I don't, and I, when I say I don't want to hyper spiritualize this, right? The obvious answer is that there really was no one to learn from because nobody had ever done it. Hmm. And so, so, you know, God really had to step in and fill in massive gaps of, of lack of knowledge, lack of experience. There was no one to go to. There were no best practices. In fact, most of the organizations that we talked to, uh, well-meaning people just said, this is a fool's errand. I heard that so many times. I got so sick of it. This is crazy. You're irresponsible to stand in front of 4,000 young adults in the DC area as their pastor and tell them you're going to reach a whole country, every single person with the gospel and clean water. Number one, you can't find them. It's just, you got to look at the reality of the situation. Hmm. And, um, and what, so when I say, you know, who, who did I learn from, you know, God really did. He had to come in, 
not just with me, but, but Todd and these other young adults. And then eventually the partnerships we developed in country and just build this thing from scratch. And, um, and, and there's been a lot of challenges, massive, high, thick brick walls that, you know, humanly you just cannot get through that God chose to break through yeah. on our behalf. Um, so that's number one. The second thing though, I will tell you is that from a learning perspective, much of our systems, much of our processes that we have from a water provision and from a gospel uh, delivery uh, perspective uh, came from groups like Living Water International out of Houston. Mike Mantell is their CEO. He's a mentor of mine. Uh, Samaritan's Purse, another incredible organization, uh, at least the organization in, I mean, I don't know all, everything they're doing, but in, in Liberia, they're phenomenal. Kendall Caulfield is their country director, incredible man of God, and, and their organization was huge in, in shortening our learning curve as, an, as, a, as, a, as a mission and a ministry to try to accomplish this task with these other partners. So um, most the most profound level of learning that we've had is through the field reps in our partnership organizations. That's fantastic. You know, just understanding the culture, understanding the challenges that are in, in place, understanding the political issues, the corruption. Um, you know, if we didn't have them, we'd still be scratching our heads wondering how to get started. So uh, I'm going to move us to our second question. Instead of talking about half the things I want to talk about, <laughs> uh, because it, we, it, yeah, it'd be, we'd be on here chilling. Uh, what is the main point of emphasis for you and your team now as you're, you know, you, you can, you have the end in sight. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the main point of your emphasis right now? Well, if I understand the question, um, let's just think about that. I think I think probably becoming, and I say this to our staff, we've got a skeleton crew of uh, myself, two other full-time people, and a part-time office manager. There's three and a half staffers here in the States. We have hundreds of people in Liberia. But I tell the American staff a lot, this group, this small crew, um, we have to be experts at influence. Um, we're just, you know, even if we wanted to, we're not large enough and we don't have a big enough sledgehammer financially or otherwise to 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 um, force drive or, or be, you know, place an edict out there on exactly how things get done in the field, even if we wanted to. So from the very beginning, we had to start being influencers with large multinational nonprofit organizations like Samaritan's Purse and Living Water and, you know, groups like that, that have, you know, been doing this stuff for 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 years, um, you know, that have very, uh, very set ways of doing things. And we came in and kind of upset that apple cart you know, in some wrong ways, but also in some right ways. Um, but we, we really, I needed to learn this and, and I've hopefully taught this to our staff both here and in Liberia, but we really, we really speak about influence all the time. That's our focus. Uh, cause we can't, we, we're working with partner organizations by and large, about 60% of our work's done through other nonprofits that have their own way of doing things. And we've had to influence them over time to agree to submit their own mission and their own reality and, and move into our structure of our county by county process. And that was about a three year deal where at the beginning, everybody was just like, look, give us some money. We'll go do some wells, but we tell you we're going to go where we want to go. And we've had to influence that process over uh, the last 10 years, but specifically the last four to five years where we've shifted a hundred percent of our partnerships, all of our contractors, all of our church planning teams, evangelism teams, to our county by county model. And everyone is happy. They're thrilled that they're doing it. Uh, but when we first had those conversations five years ago, nobody wanted to touch it with a 10 foot pole. Hmm. 
and we couldn't make them do it. So influence was a huge issue. So Todd, having been a pastor for the pastors who are listening right now, and they're not thinking of going after a country, um, they're thinking about, Hey, how do I better serve the city that I live in or the County that I live in? And you're talking about influence. What advice would you give them uh, having learned what you've learned uh, to be able to grow and build influence right where they are to, to impact their city and their County. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to come from a real heavy bias on that question. So just understand that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to answer this, but I would say that one of the things I've learned through this whole process is there's a couple key um, uh, distinct things that distinguish us from every other organization. That's okay. a kind of our blue ocean, you know, distinctives. One of them is that we're going border to border. Nobody's even tried it as far as we can tell. It's certainly not the organizations we partner with and we've never found anyone that's up until now tried to do it. Mm-hmm. And it looks like we're going to get it done because of God's grace and his you know, provision. Second thing though, is that it's, we've got a timeline. There's an end date. You know, this thing doesn't go through January 1st of 2021 at midnight on December 31st, 2020. That's it. That's the last moment of, of this mission. It has to be accomplished prior to that. And and God's built us a roadmap to see that happen. So it's a border to border strategy. Uh, there's an end date. And then for us, uh, and this doesn't specifically speak to the church, but I think it's important. We have an operate, a team of operation donors, a small group that actually covers all the U S costs so that whether an individual or a church or a company, whatever, when they give us money, those monies, hundred percent of those funds go to the field. Hmm. You know, so when someone comes to us and says, we want to do a well, or we want to share the gospel and provide filters in a given community in Liberia, we're like, great. They give us the funds. We set up that cost and hundred percent of that money goes to the field, not 90, not 80, hundred. So those are our distinctives. And I think I say all that to say this to pastors, you know, one of the things that uh, I'm finding that's happening much more often, especially in the last couple of years, uh, I'll give you a great example. There's a, fr- a guy, a very good friend of mine, Gus, uh, Antos, he lives here in the Dallas area and he's on our board. He's a very successful businessman, very passionate man for God, uh, owns a very large uh, company here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. He's, uh, let's see, late thirties, pretty young guy, uh, just brilliant. And, and again, passionate for God. Well, mm-hmm. as he's watched this and been on the board with the last well and seen this border to border strategy, he decided to start his own ministry in the Rowlett area. That's a small town just Northeast of Dallas. And it's called 19 Ministries. He just started it up six, eight, ten months ago, if I'm right about the timeline. And very new, though. But 19 Ministries is these these 19 areas of focus with, for this holistic transformation that you might see on the mission field in Africa. You know, where Samaritan's Purse is very good at this. They've got a 14 point you know village transformation program that they they utilize pretty much around the world. Well, this young man, Gus, has decided to do that here in the states. So he's taken these 19 area ministries and he's built a border to border strategy in a given community and he has a timeline for it. And what's amazing about this is that just the concept of that, which is very compelling for people that donate to the last well too. But now you got a guy that's in the backyard of these same donors and people that we all know, and they're excited about, they're like, well, yeah, I'm going to support Liberia. That's wonderful. But now I get to go to border, do a border to border strategy in Rowlett, you know, 12 miles away. I mean, who does that? And, and there are other ministries out there I know that, that do something similar, but I would just encourage pastors. One of the things that I think we need to ha- do with our people 
uh, with our congregations, our family, is, you know, we've got to celebrate some wins. There has to be borders around the projects we're doing. There's got to not, maybe not a permanent end date, but there can be some end dates along the way, you know, where we see something accomplished and we can celebrate those victories and give God the glory. Yeah. You know, those are some of the big things that I've learned through this. I, I just think people are desperate for, well, they're desperate for leadership, right? They're desperate for certainty about where they're going. They want to have direction. And they want to see God do big stuff in their generation. And it's just just far too rare. It shouldn't be. We should have Wilberforce moments happening, not just, you know, in one country, but they should be happening daily around the world. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So Todd, when you think about your daily rhythms, what are one or two things that you find yourself doing every day and, and how does it benefit your life and your leadership? Well, let me, huh, three things I do every, well, you know, I obviously just as a Christian, you know, the, the idea of spending time in, in communication with God through prayer and obviously scripture and the reality of its truth and how it, uh, the Holy Spirit, you know, allows that to, to work in to mold and shape your character and move you forward. Those things being, you know, clearly there and, and part of the list, I want to add two more. Uh, and it may seem a little too simple. Um, one of the things that uh, has been very, uh, has been profound for me over the last uh, five years specifically, uh, and, and Todd Adkins knows this, I used to work out, you know, try to stay in shape when I was in, uh, when I was up in Virginia working with him. I've kind of done that on and off all my life, but about four or five years ago, about four years ago, I really started realizing it. I'm 49 now. Yeah, I was, I was 45. In fact, that's what was the catalyst for it. I was in my mid forties. And I started realizing that, you know, I was gaining some weight. Um, I was not working out. I wasn't treating myself well. I wasn't taking care of this temple, you know, that God had given me. And I preached on that so many times and, and uh, the importance of that. And, and I just started to realize that I was just, I was passively allowing myself to kind of, you know, slowly decline in my health. And uh, it was just a very, very much an aha moment for me. And so I got very, very serious about um, my exercise, my diet, um, you know, supplementation, regular visits to the doctor. And I know this sounds silly when you talk about leadership, but, you know, there, there are so many leaders that burn the candle at both ends and just, they just burn out. Um, the, 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 the Christian world is replete with stories like this. And, um, that's, I feel I'm almost 50. I feel better than I did at 38. Um, just in every way, shape and form, I, I take it very seriously. And I just, I ask God to keep me balanced and not get too, you know, cause I can get on a rabbit trail on any topic and, you know, go nuts in a given area like health and exercise and all that. But it's been a huge balancing factor for me to allow me to, you know, be healthy enough to, to, um, to not only survive, but really thrive in a very high stress environment of international mission work. So that's number one. And then the second thing that's been uh, probably in the last two years has been a game changer for me is just uh, setting aside time. It hasn't been daily. I wish it would be, but setting aside time at least weekly. And for me, that was a huge issue to, for a couple hours a week, usually on the weekends, where I, where I sit down and I look at my calendar, I look at what I've just gone through over the past week, the meetings I've had, the people I've met, the challenges we dealt with, the crisis that, is, that we've averted or had to push through, um, my time in prayer, my time with my family, all these things, exercise, everything, and really reflecting uh, in, in, in a prayerful mode. 
reflecting on the accomplishments of God in my life, reflecting on the uh, areas of wisdom that he's blessed me with through the challenges I've dealt with in that given week. I think there's a, uh, there's a book I haven't read it in years called The Reflective Life by, uh, I think it's Ken Gear, G-I-R-E. I don't even know if it's still in print. Probably is. It's a great book. But it's this idea of, you know, a life, a life lived without reflection is a life not lived, right? God wants us to, to, to be still and not only know that he's God, but to be still and to reflect upon the, the power of him in and through our lives. And I think many leaders myself included, are so type A that we just, we're reacting and responding to life uh, because we're capable of doing that. God's fashioned us in a way that we can handle crisis, address issues. We're quick to, you know, come to answers. Many of us, um, I certainly know I feel that way about me. And I end up living a, a reactionary life rather than a, a reflective life. And that, that opportunity for reflection has been, um, it's an understatement to say game changer. So exercise, diet, you know, really attention to my health and, and, and addressing those issues. And then this idea of prayerful reflection on a weekly basis. I would love to see it daily, but for me, it's weekly. That's so helpful. It's so helpful. Okay. I'm going to move us on to uh, what leadership looks like in your home. Leadership in the home. Um, I know I'm having these one word answers, but I, they just pop into my head. I think God's really been working on me with the whole issue of just simply being fully present. Um, and that goes back to this kind of reflective life. You know, it's, I've got a trigger in my phone and I call it a trigger. It's a, it's basically an alarm. And what I do is I, when I, and I, I no longer need the alarm because I, every time I drive my car into the garage, I, I think this way, but for months I had the alarm going. And that alarm was to remind me to, uh, when I parked at my car in the garage, before I, before I transitioned from work and the stress of the reality of what we do and all the things that are going on with the last well and staffing and all the management and moving into family life, you know, I sat in my car and I was reminded just to pray to God, um, uh, allow me mentally, physically, and spiritually to move away, you know, from the frenetic pace of my day and, and, and now shift me, my mindset, my heart set on the people within this house. You know, my, now my wife and two daughters, my son just left for college a year and a half ago, but um, just having that moment of transition, mm -hmm. uh, you know, deep breaths, prayerful moment of transition into this new world. What I used to do is I just, I didn't ever bring work home, but I brought the frenetic pace of work home. Uh, okay. You know? And That's so cool. I would just walk in with the same energy and like, people were like, what dude, get out of my face. You know, you're just, you're too wired up. And, uh, and so just, just setting aside that time to prayerfully transition from one part of my life to the other, that's, and then, and then getting in the, in the house and being fully present, you know, eye to eye, face to face, um, engaged. Yeah. That's, uh, and that's, that's the biggest thing for me in the last, I don't know, year or so specifically. And that's, I mean, that requires huge intentionality. For me, there's a stop sign right before I cross the train tracks to go into my neighborhood where I'm like, if I'm listening to a podcast or, or, or whatever, I just kind of stop there. And, and that's my signal to start transitioning as I drive the last two to three minutes into my home. Yeah. Um, yeah. So listen, those, those kind of triggers are, are huge. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, they really are. And people, I don't think people take advantage of some of these simple I don't know, simple leadership or simple, you know, just, just being mindful of what's going on in front of you and where, what you're about to move into. Yeah. 
That's good. Now, Todd, if you were sitting across uh, for having coffee with your 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself about preparing to lead? Or Parker. <laughs> yeah, okay. Let, yeah, let me think about Parker. Because he has um, a cologne. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he's 20. Uh, you know, I wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, one of my default uh, answers to questions like this, uh, and, I've, and I've been a big advocate of this for a long time because of my own uh, failings in this area. Um, I would tell my young self or Parker or really any young person, uh, high school, college, just out of college, uh, this phrase, stay a little longer. And, and by that, I mean, there, there are a lot of people that get, they, they're so busy thinking of it, whatever job they've got, whether it's Starbucks or, you know, garbage collector. I mean, just pick anything that you would think, wow, you know, either that's fun or that's a dead end job or whatever. It's not the job that's dead end or, you know, fun or not fun. It's how you're engaging with it. Right. So I've always told this to Parker, you know, when you're in a situation, especially as you get into different roles, different jobs, learn from the leadership in your life and don't be so quick to leave. I think one of the things we, we tend to do as young people is it just feels like forever. You know, if you're in a job for a year, it's like, man, I feel like I've been here 20 years. Well, you know, I'm 49 now, a year goes by in a day and a half. You know, but when you're 20, a year's a long time. And um, people tend to be dissatisfied with their job, not understanding what God's trying to do to mold and shape their character, and they leave too quickly. And the, and the, and the very things God was trying to teach them in that job that they were so frustrated by, things like patience, things like finding joy in spite of your circumstances, things like learning what to do and what not to do from watching leadership above you. I mean, there's endless number of, of lessons that you can learn through challenging situations. And they're so they're too quick to leave. Mm -hmm. I see this in ministry all the time. I see people that go into churches and they get in, they become a youth minister or something as a young adult and they're upset with the pastor and they do it different. And if they were leading, they do it, you know, they have all this opinion about how things should go instead of just resting in the reality of what their job and responsibility is and trying to learn from that moment. And so I always tell young leaders, especially if they're frustrated, whether it's church work or just any job, you know, you're about to leave. Well, are you leaving because you're frustrated with what's going on? Are you leaving to go somewhere? Or are you just leaving to get away from these challenges? And if you're just leaving to get away from the challenges, stay a little longer. Yeah. No, so that's one thing. That's, I, I just, there's something to be said for just sticking that's so it out. Good. That's so good. Um, and uh, do I have time for a couple more? Yeah, now that I'm thinking? yeah go for okay. it. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and then I want to go a little further on the actively, actively learning uh, from those who are in leadership over you. Yeah. And specifically the two questions are, the two thoughts are, what, what can I learn from this leader? What to, you know, what to do, right? How to lead well, but probably more importantly, and this may sound crazy, but learn what not to do. You know, if you're frustrated by a boss who you don't think leads well, start writing all the things he does poorly. And remember not to take that with you when you lead. You know, I learned a lot of incredible things in leadership through Lon Solomon. Um, and I told him this. Lon Solomon was a pastor at McLean Bible Church, the church that we housed. And the church within a church was Frontline. McLean was the main church. Hmm. Uh, Lon was there 35 years, I think. Um, I... Uh, I learned a lot. I, I've told a lot. I said some of the greatest realities of leadership in my life right now that I teach others, I learned from watching Lon. And I said, at the same time, some of the things I'll never do, I learned from watching it, you know, but you learn what to do and learn what not to do. I think, yeah. I think people are so busy trying to find happiness that they, they miss out on what joy really is all about from a biblical perspective and what wisdom it's, is its own reward, mm. you know? That's so true. And then last couple of things. Um, Always take time to celebrate. I'm just throwing stuff out as I'm thinking. Always take time to celebrate. I did poorly at this at Frontline. 
and I think I did poorly at it uh, the first many years at uh, here at the last well, but I'm better at it now. You know, celebrating the victories, giving credit and glory to God, but um, you know, celebrating those victories with the people that are serving. And um, and the last thing, speaking of credit, uh, as a leader, I would tell my 20 year old self to give credit to everyone else but me. You know, just be reminded that this this is all happening because of God and the people around you. Period. There, I'm done with my sermon. Four points, right there. Not a sermon, just the thought. Well, just, <laughs> just thought. That's right. Exactly right. I should I, I should come up with a poem at this point. I feel obligated. <laughs> no, the worship right. team needs to come up and That's start right. playing. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> the they, should have, they should have already run it, the running a bed behind me already. So. Well, wait. No, uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's so fun uh, to talk to you and and talk about it. Uh, all of this, um, but just to see how uh, Last Well has, uh, you know, not just, it didn't just survive, uh, it thrived and more than thrived. And I can't wait to see uh, what the next chapter is after Liberia. But it, honestly, um, for those listening, I mean, you can go to lastwell.org um, and, and check it out. There's plenty of ways that you or your church can get involved. I mean, Liberia is almost done. Um, But as, you know, as you guys wrap that up and are looking forward to um, to new potential locations and new potential things, Mm -hmm. I just want to encourage people to continue to to look at you all and and what you're doing and and kind of bookmark that. Thank Um, you. Is there anything you want to say about that, or if if people wanted to you know, get connected? Yeah, I, I appreciate the op- the opportunity to do that. I think yeah, thelastwell.org that's our main site. Um, they can go to toddphillips.com too. I've got daily devotionals on there. Uh, either one of those. So if they're looking to connect with me personally, toddphillips.com, they can connect with me through there. If they're looking to connect to the ministry, it's thelastwell.org. And I want to focus on that. Thelastwell.org, uh, not just the website. It'll give them some you know I think a more in depth perspective on what we talked about. Uh, today. But also I, I would love to work with more churches. You know, we have, a, we have churches that are involved with us, but I'll give you an example. We've this, this whole project, when it's all said and done, the gospel and clean water provision in Liberia, it's going to be about a $32 million, 12 year, 12 year, $32 million project. And out of that 12 year, $32 million project, we're 23 months left and we have about $1.4 million left to raise. And again, all that 1.4 million is money that's going to the field because we've already got our operations covered. Hmm. in the U S and so we're, we're about 95% there, but you know, one of the things I want to, it would encourage pastors, especially leaders of churches, pastors at churches that might be listening to this, you know, it doesn't matter if, if they fund a, a filter, you know, a, a clean water system for a single home or fund a, a well, the average cost of a, a, a new well, a hand pump well is $3,000 in Liberia. Uh, it doesn't matter the level of engagement, one of the things I'm trying to encourage pastors to do is say, look, whether it's a dollar or a million dollars, you know, partner with us, not just financially, but allow us to send reports back to the churches and get and, and use it as a discipleship and a teaching tool uh, to, to your congregation. Use this as a way to go, you know what, we, we partnered with the last well to bring the gospel to an entire nation. Uh, through the provision of clean water and the, and, the, and the sharing of the message of Jesus Christ. We provided one of the wells of the many that they're doing. And we, we're now part of this. We're actors on the stage of history. We're seeing God's kingdom expand. And here's a report, though, of the well that we put in the field. Here are the 612 people that were reached with the gospel and clean water. Here's stories that 
of, of, of life transformation through the message of Jesus Christ. And this is something that we were a part of, that God allowed us to be a part of. And, and, and we just did this one well, but now what can we do as a community? What's our passion? Is it human trafficking? Is it, um, is it education for needy children in the south region of our city? What is it that we want to do? How do we want to have our own Wilberforce moment? So you, they could start by joining us in a small way and then expand the passions that come from that in their backyard. I just, I'm so desperate to see this ministry not only bless these countries who desperately need the gospel and clean water, but to bless the American church. That's perfect. So, well, thanks, Todd, so much for being on the podcast with us. Well, thank you guys for inviting me. This has been great. And I, you know, Todd, I'll, you, you spoke very highly of me uh, earlier. I appreciate all those nice comments. But, uh, you know, I've told you this before, the seven years we spent together, uh, at Frontline, just like you said, were, were, were just the favorite years of my you know, Christian experience. They were the, the I, like you said, the happiest, most just, just joyful time. Uh, and, and, and it was in large part because of the relationship that you and I had. So I appreciate you allowing me to come on here and share this time with you, introducing me to the, uh, the great Daniel uh, on the podcast. <laughs> and, uh, and hopefully I'll be able to get out and uh, see you guys in person sometime, grab coffee. Absolutely. Fun. Well, we're so glad that you tuned in to the podcast. It's yep. so fun to to see the Todds. I just had to stop. <laughs> so that's why I got like, I was like, uh, this could go on for a long time. So it was good. I just stayed back as much as possible. <laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to check out The Last Well as well as toddphillips.com. And also, uh, we want to encourage you to check out a brand new Bible study called The uh, gospel above all. Now, I wish you could have heard Todd singing because he came up, up with a song. Yeah, he came up with and a it song. was solid. <laughs> it was on point. Yeah. So this Bible study is a brand new one. Uh, and JD Greer, who is one of the hosts of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network of one of our podcasts, hosts this Bible study with people like Jen Wilkin, Vance Pittman, David Platt, Rosaria Butterfield, and many more people. So in this eight-session Bible study, you'll get a fresh perspective on the supremacy of the gospel over the trappings and temptations of modern society. So we hope you check that out. And we also hope you will check out the Rainer on Leadership podcast. Tom Rainer and Jonathan Howe are a part of our network, and recently they cover topics like uh, six major areas, pastors want to reset their ministries, why church attendance may vary 25% each week, and a lot of relevant topics like that. So just look up Rainer on Leadership on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today. <laughs>